alfalfa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, my hair is like, Oh, I said, they didn't know this. No, no, thank you. My mom never did that to me. So I have a good, uh, good couple jokes here. Science teacher tells his class, Oxygen is a must for breathing in life. It was discovered in 1773. A blonde student responds, Thank God I was born after 1773. Otherwise, I would have died without it. <laughs> and then, how do astronomers organize a party? How do astronomers organize a party? They plan it. Very good. Close, close. All right, so let's go ahead and let's see. Oh, this is. So this is probably kind of like a part two. I think that's what I had in mind. Um, and then I didn't know it was going to be like 15 minutes. So anyway. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go to verse 11 in the Passion Translation. And we've been discussing the rest that only comes from God. You can only enter this rest by faith. Faith is, re faith is required. The Israelites did not enter this rest, therefore there remains... Um, a rest for us and we learned last week that it is the it is finished life it's where you have your end and you know what that looks like and you're just following orders by faith you're no longer striving uh, you're the only thing you're striving is to enter his rest that's it and uh, so we'll we'll finish that idea off today but in verse 11 it says well, let me go ahead and read verse 10 because I think it's really good. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works. Just as God celebrates His finished works and rests in them. Now, I like this statement because Paul is writing this post-fall. And when we were uh, in, I love that song, the glory song. Um, I was like, Lord, you know, we, we sing, you know, I, I was pondering it, and it's like, we sing, show us your glory. But the Word says that you gave us your glory. And so I'd like to kind of reframe that. What does that look like? You know, we ask for you to show us your glory, and I know what they're talking about. I know what they mean. They, you know, you want a deeper relationship with them. You want to enter in, you know, deeper. You want to see more of Him, et cetera, et cetera. I said, but what exactly in your mind is it to see more of your glory? And the thought that instantly I saw is he started with Richard and then he went to Diane and then he went to Roberta and I didn't know Margie was here um, yet. And then he went just around the table and said, when you see them, you see my glory uniquely expressed in how or through how they're designed. Isn't that interesting? So His glory being uniquely expressed through each one of us. And that means Richard doesn't have to be a me. I don't have to be a Richard. Diane doesn't have to be Kathy. And Kathy doesn't have to be Diane. And it goes all around the room where each one of us is uniquely designed. And He, in the fullest expression, being allowed to shine through that. No self-criticism. No you know, looking at what you lack or any doubt about how you were designed, that allows him to show himself freely in his glory. Isn't that neat? And so he celebrates us because he, number one, sees the finished product, but number two, he also celebrates the journey. I love that. I love that. It's just, it's a, it was a neat concept. So he celebrates his finished works and rests in them before they're actually finished. Why? Because in his mind, it 
is finished. The end of everything is already done in his mind. He already sees the end result. He sees the new heaven. He sees the new earth. He sees his kingdom set up. It's that now, between now and then, is simply the opportunity for everyone to come into the kingdom of God that wants to come into the kingdom of God and for him to fulfill his purposes in every prophetic word. So I think where the disconnect can happen for us, like, you know, I can, it's so interesting. Like I was saying in prayer, I can feel <clears throat> President Trump's optimism for this country. And Saturday, when I was painting our mailbox the wrong color, um, I was listening to uh, Lance Wallnow, and he was talking about Rush Limbaugh, and he said even though Limbaugh would point out, you know, the Democrat plan and, and all of that, and there is a danger in our country that needs to be addressed, but even though he would do that, he had optimism in the people of this country. You know, he, he recognized this is a great country. And so, I don't know, just something lit on the inside of me. And from that point on, when I found out when our fine president, not the Ill illegitimate one currently in office, but our real one, when I, re I learned he was going to you know, be speaking this Sunday, and I was pondering that yesterday, uh, I was like, man, he has more optimism than a lot of people that have suffered the loss of him not being reelected. So then the question went back to, how is it that he who's not been born again probably for very long has more optimism and boldness than much of the church? We were driving, I don't know if y'all noticed, but we were driving to church this morning and there was a state trooper at one of the churches. The church better wake up. You know? Was he a visitor? No. The church better wake up. We have got to understand what is at stake. But at the same time, the only way we're going to reach those that feel downtrodden, they feel like they've been, you know, dealt a bad hand, is to inspire hope. That's how Obama got elected. That's how President Trump got elected in the populist message as well. Hope, aspiration is the most powerful motivator there is. So we need to celebrate ourselves as well. As well. We need to celebrate if we're thinkers. We need to celebrate if we see those details no one else sees. We need to celebrate if we're bold and aggressive in the purposes of God. We need to celebrate those things. And we need to celebrate them in each other and not allow the strengths in the other person to become a point of conflict and criticism. we got to be really careful with that. Now, if there's things going on that aren't good, absolutely address them. But one of the easiest ways the enemy divides a family is he gets a perceived or real offense, he expounds on it, and he causes that person to look at the other person in a critical and offended nature, and then before you know it, the family is divided. That's the same thing he's doing with our country. So celebration, I feel, is a very important word for us this week. I feel it's a very important word for 2021, is celebration of what God is doing in our country and ourselves and in our ecclesias. So with that in mind, we've got God who celebrates His finished work. He rests in them. And then verse 11, So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no, no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Now, the phrase, give our all and be eager, I love that phrase because it shows, number one, a level of determination that's needed and number two, an intensity that is needed to fuel our quest for entering his calming place of rest, which almost sounds like an oxymoron. But there's a determination and intensity where you don't look to the right, you don't look to the left. I am determined to enter this it is finished life. I am determined to do that. I'm going to do it by faith and I'm going to give everything for the rest of my life to enter that place. Did you have something, Kathy? Well, I just think it when it talks about sometimes because it talks about that striving to enter into the rest that mm -hmm. doesn't seem it seems like you know like you said oxymoron where you strive to rest but I think sometimes it's just recognizing why you're not in rest and saying no I can't I can't dwell on that particular thing that I'm thinking about absolutely or, um, or uh, focusing on what does get you in rest and I think that sometimes we think of striving as, you know, something that's hard to do. But I think it's something that's just an awareness 
of what we need to do. Yeah, being constantly <coughs> vigilant. Yes. You know, it's, that's an interesting thought because, like, you know, you war from a place of peace, you strive toward rest. Well, one of the things that I guess you could say is an example of striving is uh, my uh, kettlebell training, right? I am always going to the next level, and there's effort, there's determination, and there's intensity involved in that, but I love it. So it's the same thing with this. What may seem intense and what may seem determination when you're in God and you're going toward His goal, it's actually fun. And I think, too, if you're not in that rest, then you've got to do a self-examination and say, what have I been thinking about? What have I been doing? What have I been watching or listening to or whatever? That's keeping me from that being in that rest, being in that trust, and, you know, say, cut it, tell yourself to cut it out. Yeah, know? yeah, that's good. Now, uh, Paul then says, so, so that no one falls short. And what, to me, that implies is if we don't have the determination and intensity that we need toward this rest, we will not reach it. We will fall short. And, you know, the head game is so important because, like, I used to do this where you can get in mental loops of critical thinking towards yourself. Before you know it, you're, like, going through your day, everything's fine, and then... Five minutes, 15 minutes, 24 hours. Has anybody ever done this? Can pass Every day. where you're like, wow, I, it started off fine. You know, I love myself and Jesus. Everything's good. And then I just wasted 24 hours pondering and meditating on everything that's wrong with me, everything that's wrong with my life, what I don't like about myself, what's lacking. It, that's how easy it is to get in those uh, thought patterns, those those loops. And so with what Kathy's saying, you have to be in a constant awareness. And here's the thing, whether you're thinking good or bad about yourself, the thing is, is that it's still about yourself, right? So the shift is you're focused on Jesus and then he is a filter for how you see yourself. And then when how he sees you confronts a way that you see yourself that is contrary, you submit and you bend yourself toward His image of you. Because here's the reality. We learned last week, he, Father sees you how He sees His Son. Okay? He loves you just as much as He loves His Son. Therefore, if you don't see yourself, if you don't love yourself like He sees you and loves you, now... Guess what there is? Disunity. How can two walk together lest they agree? And the enemy knows this. So that's why he highlights the things that are lacking in your life, the things that are lacking in yourself, and he presents them as if they're reality when we know they're not. The reason the Lord could withstand the temptation from the devil, which we know, remember according to the Weiss translation, that the enemy actually said to him, it is apparent by the divine essence in you that you are the Son of God. He then wanted him to use his sonship, his identity for his own purposes and his own gain. So the enemy tried, he used aspiration. I had an interesting thought. I was mentoring a lady yesterday, and we were talking about a situation she was in with an individual. And she said, when I look back at the situation, I'm like, how did I fall for it? And all of a sudden, the Lord, it was like he told me, he said, aspiration is so powerful, and, and that's the picture of things that you see, like how you want it to be. Aspiration is so powerful that if you're not careful, you can actually fall for a con artist presenting to you a picture that's a commercial, it's not real, right? So aspiration can also be used by the enemy. So we have to be careful with that. Well, anyway, he, he presented, if you worship me, you can have all of this. He presented a picture to him of all that he could have, right? The Lord already knew it was his. He didn't need any shortcuts. So that's why it's so important to see the it is finished. 
Because if you see the it is finished, when the enemy tries to tell you that it's not finished and tries to give you a shortcut to a way for you to arrive at the it is finished, you can say, no, I already possess all things. Everything is yes and amen. I don't need any of your shortcuts. I don't need any of your ideas because it's already finished. I'm already there. So where the disconnect comes in is the soul aspect of getting it to come into agreement. Does that make sense? This is very practical stuff. This is really important to understand because one of the phenomenons that I kept seeing in churches is no one saw themselves how God saw them. It was incredible. And it was breaking up their marriages. It was ruining their kids. It was self-sabotaging them. It was ruining their finances. No one saw themselves as he did. And not only were they hard on themselves, but they were also hard on others. It was crazy. The ones that stood out were those that saw themselves, or at least were beginning to see themselves as God saw them, and they had this intensity and this determination in their relationship with the Lord that you didn't see in a lot of other people. I'm sure y'all have all experienced that. So you will get there. The vision you have for yourself, you will be successful in, whether it's for you or against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, man, I better. I want to see our president. I've got a little bit of time. Don't worry, Mike. I'm so excited. Well, I don't even know what this thing is he's doing. Though. He's at CPAC. I don't even know what that is. Uh, the conservative. Ah. Uh, well, it's the main conservative, conservative. conference every year, yeah, but it's, I can't. It's be on C SPAN. Uh, Newsmax or Newsmax, I think we'll have him on there. At at uh, one forty, he's finishing off the conference. Yeah. Okay, so in the English Standard Version of Hebrews four eleven, it says, "Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may uh, fall by the same sort of disobedience." So this is one of the, the few things the Father tells us to strive for. The word strive means to do something with intense effort and motivation, to work hard, to do one's best, and to endeavor. Striving is beyond passive Christianity. It's a singular focus that nothing and no one can distract you from, and I am a testament to the power of focus, let me tell you. Striving to enter his rest protects you from the same sort of disobedience that the Israelites lived in. Then the word fall, now this is interesting. It means, quote, to experience somewhat suddenly that which is difficult or bad. Now, that's an interesting thought because the heart of man grows more wicked or more evil when uh, judgment is delayed. So the judgment, sometimes we blame God for things as judgments when actually it's our own poor decisions. But here's the thing. Your decision, every single decision you make, so thoughts become habits, habits become behavior, behavior becomes the norm for you, right? You are the sum total of your decisions today. The wonderful thing about being in God is you can sometimes reverse Actually, let me rephrase that. All the time, reverse the curse, but not always be able to change the circumstances in your life. For example, if you are a jerk as a husband or a wife for 30-something years, and all of a sudden you've got a Dear John or Dear Jane letter, you probably can't fix that. Okay? There might be some hope, but it really depends on whether the other person wants to give you the thousandth chance to not be stupid. So there are some things there is a loss. There's time that's lost. There's maybe a, you know, a divorce or maybe a child that you're estranged from or whatever it is. There are some things that you cannot escape loss. Health is one of them. Things like that. But God can work all things for your good. So if you take Joseph, right? He lost all that time with his dad. There was no way to get it back. He was a slave. He was in prison. There's no way to get that time back, right? We can all agree with that. But yet he became the second in command of Egypt. All things work together for good. So the point is, 
is that every single decision you make every single day, minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, if it is a decision that is not for you, one day you will have to pay for those decisions. You see what I mean? It's the same thing for the good. Every decision you make in line with God's will, every time He comes to you and challenges your thinking, or He challenges your faith, or he, you know, what you believe, like, do you, is that really my word that you believe, right, that right there? Do you really believe I heal sometimes and not all the time? Do you really believe that? Well, let's talk about that. Let's challenge that. Every time you are presented a picture of a contradiction to who God says He is, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to believe your word. You say you're good all of the time. That means this bad thing cannot be your will. Therefore, I'm going to follow your direction step by step to get out of this, right? You see what I mean? When you make those good decisions and all of a sudden, suddenly, you step into the miracle. It's, it's the journey that we need to celebrate, guys. That's what is important. So here we see that the somewhat suddenly into that which is difficult or bad is because... We have not, we've either relaxed our hold or we've made decisions that have led us to the very somewhat suddenly bad thing we're encountering. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't blame God for where you are today. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? So everywhere we're at is because of us. And you can't blame the devil either. You know why? Luke 10, 19. Behold, look, pay attention. I give you authority over all the dunamis power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means harm you. So we can't blame the devil. We can't blame God. So really that only leaves one person. We are the common denominator in our story. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just feel that's important for people to understand because when you're in the blame game, you're not in a solution game. So, if the buck stops here, then what that means is you can regain your power by coming into agreement with Father. That's all it takes. Okay? So, if you need a miracle in your body, don't research it on Google to reinforce what's wrong with you. Now, if you have a diagnosis and you want to get a little bit more information, I guess that's fine. Or if you're trying to research, hey, my heel keeps hurting, what's going on? What can I do? Okay. But your end conclusion should always be the Word says you were healed at the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is urgent, guys. We can't be having a life where you can't do what you've been called to do because your body's breaking down. You can't have a life to be able to give extravagantly and without any restraint if you're in debt. You can't have powerful relationships with your family if you see them jacked up in a way that you're offended and critical. These are important things that we have to deal with. And I feel an urgency in my spirit for people to get it. You have to get it. And so while, the, while we've been waiting for revival, like that's going to be the fix-all, the enemy has been discipling nations. He's been discipling our children and our grandchildren. He's been discipling marriages. All of those things. He's taken intimacy between a man and a woman and made it this perverted thing. Did you know the bill passed about the LGBTQ and what that does to religious freedom? I mean, it's incredible. And so we're at a point where the decisions we're making can impact ourselves and our country and our, our ecclesias and our friendships in a deep, deep level. And so I just want to let you guys know that the Israelites died in the wilderness because of the decisions they made. Every time they were confronted with a need for water or confronted with a need for food, they didn't believe them. And then he just kept walking them through the journey 
And then guess what? It was time to survey the promised land, not for what was wrong, but for what was right. And because they refused to believe him on every decision that they had, when it came time to enter the promised land, they didn't enter. You can be a Christian and die and never enter the full life you were supposed to enter. Right? So every opportunity you have to doubt is an opportunity for you to believe God anyway. And then when it's time for you to step into your promises, you're ready for the fight. It doesn't matter. You've already seen Him. You've already believed. So you're good. Caleb and Joshua were of a different spirit. They fed their uh, soul with the goodness of God. They fed their soul with the miracles that He did. Okay? So like Ben, that biopsy, it's inconsequential, right? Uh, so there's things that we each have and if you can look at the area where you're struggling, if you can look at that, all right, Lord, what do I say to this problem? And then speak to that mountain, believe that you have already received, and then just walk out the journey and use every decision as an opportunity. The Lord, another day, He was stressing this to me. He said, Do you know that there are thousands of decisions you make every hour that determine if you'll be in my will tomorrow? That really hit me. Wow. There are thousands of decisions I make every hour that determine whether I will be in His will tomorrow. And the majority of them are how you think. Does that make sense? You think about, I think it's like 70,000 thoughts uh, an hour, if I'm not mistaken. It's quite a bit. I'd have to get the, the stats. So your decisions, good or bad, will catch up to you. It's a law. It's unavoidable. And the scary part as far as bad decisions is that it can be somewhat suddenly. You're living your life, and then suddenly something happens that you didn't see coming. Yet your conscience was telling you the entire time it was a possibility. It's like you knew it, but you had pushed it down. You can't treat your spouse like crap and expect to be married. You can't rack up debt and expect to prosper. You can't treat your body with dishonor and expect it to stay healthy. And you can't be an angry person and expect to have good friends and good health. Well, it says that you can. Sorry. <laughs> you might just change Maybe that, that. was a Freudian slip because yeah. I'm still working on my scrapbook of scoundrels. Yeah. Be aware of that. You can go in there and put a T in there. Often we blame God as some type of punishment when it's actually our fault. So, with the Israelites, in spite of their continuous unbelief in God's patience, there came a moment when there was no more playing. It was time to enter the promised land, and it was time now. You've got a now coming. And that's, that's the time, guys, when the most bravery and courage is needed. Because now it's no longer you're playing. Now you're no longer preparing. Now you're no longer, you know dreaming about it now it's time to go and that can be a little interesting I think probably the times that I experience the greatest fear is right when I start a journey and right when I get to their arrival and usually the the need for courage is that I will continue to make the decisions I need to make to maintain what I have now possessed that's where it can be the most interesting so they're now arrived and because they refused, the somewhat suddenly arrived. Now God was not going to help them enter, but instead He was going to let them all die off and then try again with the next generation. There always comes a tipping point. Always. Always, always, always. So in Ecclesiastes 8.11 it says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. The word sentence is a legal decree or court sentence and speedily means quickly or at once. And that's the thing with like killers and criminals. They always think they can get away with it. Always. That's the, that's the ego. That's the pride of mankind. They always think they can do whatever they want and get away with it. But no, the sentence always comes. And there's nothing like knowing you blew it and you can't change it. That's a terrible... Have y'all have ever experienced that? Where you know 
you blew it. If you would have just made a different decision. I think the most poignant time I felt that was this election. I really do. And it was like, man, we blew it. It's done. So, got to regroup, rethink, recalculate what's our role, you know, get the game plan. But now it's four years of this and we blew it. And so there's nothing like that. And I think the worst thing to live in would be regret. You know, that to me would be the worst thing. There's no going back. The marriage is over. The body's broken down. The election was stolen. And now we're stuck with the consequences. Things can be redeemed, but there will be a cost. And I hesitate to talk about this too much because for some they get stuck in the consequences versus a living in covenant. Meaning that yes, there are times where you may experience loss. But the covenant lifts you out of that and places you once again in the innocent state. If you get a verdict of not guilty, that can mean you still did it. There just wasn't enough evidence, right, to convict you. The beauty of innocent is it's as if you never sinned. I love that. So it's like with God, with Jesus, because of his blood, he silences the accuser so that even if we made a mistake, he has healing as a provision to reverse the curse in your body. He has uh, prosperity to reverse the curse of debt in your finances. He, again, there may be some loss, but there is the ability to redeem what was lost. That's what is beautiful about being in Christ because you're innocent Therefore, the devil can't keep you in a defeated state. So, I guess I want to let you guys know that with doubt and unbelief, there will be a point where the knocking of the somewhat suddenly arrives. But in Jesus, when you turn or you repent, right? All that you lost can be used to make what was lost seem like God did it because it's so good after. So Joseph, who it was not, by the way, God's will for him to become a slave, nor was it God's will for him to be a prisoner, an ex-convict, right? It was never his will. But what was God's will was to get Joseph there so he could become second in command to save a nation, not just Egypt, but Israel, and to position them to multiply, right? And, and God told Abraham... Your people, they will be slaves for 400 and what was it? 190 years or something like that. They're going, to be, they're going to be slaves, but I'm going to deliver them. Why did they need to be slaves? Well, they didn't need to. But God used the hard labor to get them ready for the journey to the promised land. So the hard stuff you go through is an opportunity to toughen up so that when it's time to fight your battles, you're fit and you're able to do it. I hope the church is seeing that right now. Because I think we, we were lulled into, don't have to do nothing. Everything's going to be taken care of for us. Well, and a lot of that, I mean, there's been so many destructive doctrines that have actually positioned the people of God. You know, when you've got the pre-trib rap, rap, uh, rapture, whatever, whatever, <laughs> When you, that caused tremendous damage because it created a passive uh, viewpoint. Well, it's supposed to get worse. Well, Jesus will rescue us. Well, and people just abdicated their role in society. So there's so many things that have made us think that way. I heard a preacher um, just the last few days. I can't remember who it was. But he said uh, his friends, his, his network of pastor friends said that after this COVID thing, only half of their people are coming actually back into the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, they found out they really don't need the church well, system, too. I think, and it, I think it also shows that the powerless of the powerlessness of the church. Mm -hmm. If it's powerless, and where you're going has no power, mm -hmm. then why are you going? Right. Right. And I actually think it's a good thing. Because... Uh, I, we were on a we were on a prayer call and Gigi or me praying. I got really irritated because I was it was like I was at a funeral, mm -hmm. 
and I'm all for hard discussion. I'm all for, hey, this is reality. So let's get to work and find a solution. But this is where we're at. We're with $2.64 gas. We're with lost jobs. We're with babies being killed as they're being born. We're with uh, men and little girls' restrooms. You know, so this is where we're at. So I'm all about having that tough discussion. But it was like just at like a funeral dirge of prayer. And finally, I'm like, man, am, am I at a funeral or, or am I on a powerful prayer call? Mm -hmm. And so I prayed a prayer that was probably a rebuke to a degree for some. But here's one thing I prayed. Father, I thank you that judgment is at your house because we're seeing how it's a, an elite system in the church of people that think they know better than the congregation. And people are waking up and the power needs to be returned back to the people. And the people need to understand, just like we need to understand with our government, that these global elitists should not be the ones telling Americans what to do. And these global elitist pastors and, and all these church leaders that think they know better than the person that's sitting in the seat, they also need to be removed from power. There needs to be a humbling where it's an upside-down pyramid where the leadership supports the dreams and the identity and, and, and what the people are called to do. So good. I'm glad it's like that. And hopefully people will be like, you know what? I'm tired of this. Why do I have to ask permission to have a Bible study with my friends? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to have a degree behind my name to go pray for people? It's stupid. Now, I understand you got the weirdos, but you know what? you got to deal with weirdos everywhere. Right? Now Just because there's weirdos doesn't mean you don't let the people minister. Now they're locked in the church. I had two calls. I said, you're welcome to come. We don't lock the door. So they're locking the door. They won't let them in. They get a certain amount and they lock the doors. Anywho. <laughs> it's just frustrating. <laughs> Scrapbook of scoundrels. I know. I didn't bring it. I, I need to bring it. Okay. The key is to learn from the situations you find yourself in. So the question is, how do we strive to enter his calming place of rest? What does that look like? You know, you got lots of sermons that are preached every Sunday, and no one knows how to apply what they're being taught. So let's look at that. So let's go to verses uh, 12 through 13. And this is so good. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. The word interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render an account. Now, up until I studied this, I used to read that verse like it's kind of scary, like a warning. You can't do anything without God seeing it. You're like, that's what it felt like, right? But then when I read it this time, I'm like, man, how comforting is that? No thought I had is hidden from him. That means he sees it and he's going to say, hey, that thought, we need to deal with that. Or nothing that we do remains a secret. Hey, you know that attitude you had or what you did the other day? Let's talk about that. Nothing created is concealed. Everything is exposed and defenseless. That means every wrong thought pattern I have is exposed and defenseless to the Word of God. Meaning I am defenseless to the Word of God. He is going to come as the Word and He's going to get in there and He's going to do all this work and expose all this stuff that's hindering you from living the life that He has for you. So really the only defense that you can put up against the Word of God is not believe it. And it always starts with who He says you are. He always starts there. Always. Then He goes in and starts working on some of those things. So let's break this down. In contrast to the experience of the Israelites, we have the added benefit of the living Word of God, 
Meaning, we have the Word of God living inside us. So, it's not outwardly manifesting as a cloud or pillar of fire. We have it inside actively piercing. Now, this is so cool. The word active means effective or able to bring about in the Greek. It's, quote, able to make things happen. It's the word energies, E-N-E-R-G-E-S in the Greek. And I did not know this. It seemed to have been used almost exclusively as medical terms, referring to medical treatment and the influence of medicine. The word is medicine. That's why it's so important, guys, to speak the word over your body, not, not your symptoms, not what Google says. Don't come in agreement with Google. Google, they're commies. Come into <laughs> agreement with what the word says, okay? Because when you do, it starts doing the miracle work of medicine on the inside of you. Now, what's interesting is God is called Yahweh Rophe, right? Which is the God who heals the body and the soul. So here's how God works. He will typically take the word to your soul belief first. The mind, the thoughts, the will. He'll take the word to the soul. And once he gets your soul in agreement, the physical manifestation in your body happens. Why do I know this? 3 John, verse 2. May you prosper and be in health to the same degree your soul prospers. Right? That's how that works. Isn't that neat? Now, listen to uh, this in the Passion Translation Commentary. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the Aramaic can be translated all effective. There's a hint here of this spinning sword of fire held by the angel guarding the way to the tree of life. To, to come eat its fruit, you must pass through the mighty sword of fire. The context implies that we pass through this fire sword on our way into the Holy of Holies. When the veil was split in two, the cherubim embroidered on the veil parted as it were to allow every worshiper to enter into the unveiled presence of God. Isn't that neat? He is the way, the truth, and the life that leads back to full access to His presence. The presence that was lost in the garden. Now, the word sword here is M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A. It is a slaughter knife. That's what they called it, the slaughter knife. It's a sword for cutting as standing for war. The interesting thing about this type of sword is it was not two-edged. And it was basically designed to kill things, okay? But when God speaks and we speak, did you get that? It becomes two-edged. When God speaks, we speak what He's saying, all of a sudden a single-edged sword becomes a two-edged sword. Isn't that interesting? So if you feel like, oh, it's killing me, you know, then you need to be like, I must not be saying what He's saying. <laughs> so just put it together, and then it'll be a nice, clean cut into what needs to be cut out. Okay? Would you like me to demonstrate? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, the word, it pierces. This literally means to penetrate through, get this, quote, all the way to where soul and spirit meet. Now, this is an efficient cutting. And the word efficient means performing or functioning in the best possible manner with the least waste of time and effort. But you have to say what he's saying. Okay? If not, it's a little bit of a deeper pain. It takes a little bit longer. More things have to feel pain than are necessary. It's kind of like when me and Mike were uh, in the old days where he was in between jobs, when I had the, the, the revelation, it like pierced me over on the overpass. Uh, at uh, Prince and Mabry, you know, this trial could have been shorter if you would have just agreed with me. That would have been nice to know. <laughs> well, it's in the Word. <laughs> you know? So, if you cooperate with what He's telling you, you join it with what, you, with what He's saying, your confession, and you have to have faith in your confession or it's useless. If you do that, it's efficient, it's quick, 
and the least amount of pain possible. So if you're in a lot of pain, you are, you're fussing here. You're fussing with him. You need to relax and let him do what he needs to do and agree with it. Okay? Lauren, I think too that the longer that our thought patterns have gone in whatever direction they're going in that's not correct, the harder it is to, yeah. you know, because that's your default. You just go right there to the default of, oh, well, this always happens, blah, 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 whatever it is. But well, I'm not referring to that, though, well, I know, Kathy. but I'm saying well, it to applies get out so. of that. Let me say what I mean. You can definitely transform your thinking mm -hmm. the old way, which is fine. I do it all the time. But what I'm talking about here is those times mm -hmm. where you thought a certain way for years and you were fighting against mm -hmm. it and you were making those new thought patterns and then all of a sudden the word goes in there and says you believe this way because of this. Let me cut that thing out. That thing's cut out and all of a sudden you have no problem thinking mm -hmm. the new way. So there is a process. Mm -hmm. There's a process time where he'll take you through a journey of changing your thoughts. But then there's also the time where the word goes straight to the problem, cuts it out, and all of a sudden your revelation of why you think that way right. frees you instantly from thinking that way. Right. Have y'all ever had that happen? I've had that happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're going to have both mm -hmm. ways. It's kind of like healing. Healing is therapeutic in the Greek. That's where we get that word. It is a process of healing. But then you got the miracle, which is instant. Okay? So it's both. But you're right. If you're going through the journey of transforming mm -hmm. thinking, absolutely. It will fight against you physically. The mean hot dog will arch itself in your brain and go after that new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you are in the situation where you allow the word to get right to the root, it can actually bypass that. I think sometimes he has us go through the journey so that we are equipped with the knowledge to help others too. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I teach, actually, is from my own journey. Okay. Yeah. All right, we got to finish. <laughs> okay. So, if you, allow, if you allow it, the Word will transform you in the best possible manner with the least waste of time and effort. Now, what I love about the Word is it removes all BS. It's able to reveal even where the soul and the spirit meet. The word soul is suke, and it's the essence of life in terms of thinking, willing, and feeling. It's the inner self, the mind, the thoughts, the feelings, the heart, the being. And then spirit is pneuma, and it's the non-material psychological faculty which is potentially sensitive and responsible to God. Now, my point in reading that is you should be like, what? Well, pneuma is breath or yeah but what breath. it's the yeah. psychological aspect that's sensitive to god what i thought that was soul right only the word can divide the two does that make sense we don't know we don't know where our soul and our spirit ends but he does and so the word goes in there and deals with it so both the spirit and the soul form the inner man and i'm sure you can see they're both almost indiscernible so the word is able to judge our thinking and reasoning and what we uh, intend or purpose as a result of the thinking in our hearts. And remember, the heart is always the cause. It's always the cause. Everything starts in the heart. Your thoughts, your actions, your behavior, everything. Now, the phrase to whom we must render an account is interesting because the word account is logos. I had no idea. So the Passion says... The Greek could also be translated, quote, in his view, the word is our responsibility. So it is our responsibility to be in the word, to activate the word, to cooperate with the word, and to allow the word to encompass all of our lives. It's our responsibility. There will be no excuse because he gave us the word. So the final scriptures are verse 14. So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are. And he conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. 
Now, the word discover means, it's literally eureka. That's what it means. It also means to intensely investigate and study. So, he understands our humidity. Uh, humidity. Humanity. <laughs> but it is your job, it is my job to open this up. And don't just read it for daily devotion. Study it. Get into the original language. Find out what this says and then apply it. Okay? So it's not enough to just watch teachers or listen to teaching. You need to crack this thing open and consume it. Now, what's interesting about the word king-priest is it's not the Hebrew word Kohen that referred to the Levitical priesthood. It's the Aramaic uh, Kumriya, which was a distinction Paul had to make because Jesus is after the order of, of Melchizedek. And strengthen is a picture of reinforcing a ship in a storm, and weakness is tribulation. Which to me equals number one, implies that to, to forsake him in the midst of tribulation like the Hebrews were facing is a sin. And number two, we have reduced this passage to conquering sin only. But it's for any time we're facing extreme difficulty that would cause us to turn from him. Instead, we are to enter daddy's office where love is enthroned, get our kiss, and get strengthened. Amen. Just pray. Being in the Word clarifies His voice. Then. Being in the Word clarifies His voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It becomes your filter. All right, so I'm going to pray quick. If you have a tithe, we're going to take it, and then we're going to hurry up and get everything ready to go, and then we're going to race home because I want to see our fine president. <laughs> All right. Well, Father, we thank you so much. Uh, for the Word of God. We as a group accept the responsibility, the personal individual responsibility to study your Word, to allow it to clarify what you say to us, to allow it to clarify the thoughts and the patterns and the belief systems that we have that are contrary to that. And so, Father, we thank you so much that as we join our confession to what you say, the sword becomes double-edged and it's able to go in there and do a quick, efficient work with the least pain and the least time possible. So we pray, Father, that you help us be those people that embrace the process, but also the suddenlies. And I pray, Father, that every time we want to say something, every time we want to think something, every time we want to do something that could hinder us from stepping into a new place of opportunity and identity in the future, that your Holy Spirit will bring the Word up to our consciousness and we will make the right decision. Every opportunity to believe you is the future yes when we see our promised land. It's the yes to boldness when we might have fear. And so, Father, this morning, we want to give you our tithes and offerings because you are of the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, and Abraham tithed to you before uh, you were even born as a man. And so we give our tithes and offerings under that order. And we do it happily. We know it's a pledge of allegiance. It's a pledge of loyalty to you. And we ask that you receive our tithes and offerings this morning and help us to use your money in the way that you deem fit uh, for every believer. And so, Father, also I pray that as we watch our president uh, today, that that same optimism and hope be infused in our spirit, that you speak to us in our spirit, about what strategy you might have for us concerning America. We give you honor, we give you glory, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.